0: best laid plans when a pandemic complicates hospital funding reform you're listening to insights on the longwoods Healthcare services radio insights is produced and presented by longwoods publishing providing better care through health services publishing education and recruitment and now karen s palmer and noah ivers on funding hospitals in a pandemic COVID-19 has created historic financial pressures for Canadian hospitals. When the pandemic escalated in March 2020, hospitals everywhere ramped up in heroic and unprecedented ways in anticipation of a sharp rise in demand for services. Governments, both provincial and federal, increased health sector funding to expand hospitals' capacity in case the curve was not flattened. But how much flexibility do hospitals have in deciding how they spend this money? Hospitals in Canada are funded mostly, though not exclusively, through annual global budgets, a fixed lump sum hospitals traditionally receive to fund all patient care. Global budgets are thought to provide hospital managers and physicians with the flexibility to respond to local pressures. But global budgets have their drawbacks including limited accountability and limited ability for the funder to control the number and nature of services provided. Hence, in 2012, Ontario's government embarked on an experiment in hospital funding reform, including quality-based procedures, or QBPs, in the hope that QBPs would result in more accountability and better care for patients at less cost. With QBPs, Ontario's government replaced some of each hospital's global budget with payments targeted at specific procedures and diagnosis. Instead of one big annual pot of funding for each hospital to use as it sees fit, hospitals receive a preset fee for each patient treated for certain diagnosis or procedures. When patients are treated under QBP funded care, the money follows the patients. UBPs are a form of patient-based funding, variants of which have been used since 1983 in many other countries wherein funders attempt to both control costs and standardize care. Alas, the best-laid plans of mice and men often go awry, and hospital funding during a pandemic is no exception. When the pandemic began, hospitals canceled QBP-funded elective procedures such as knee arthroscopy, hip and knee replacement, cataract surgery, and tonsillectomy. What happened to the QBP funds where there were no patients on whom to spend this money? No patients, no money. So... The Ontario government announced that hospitals would be allowed a one-time approval to liberate QBP funds to address immediate COVID-19 pressures. With COVID-19, Ontario effectively abandoned their hospital funding reform experiment with QBPs and put that money back into hospitals' global budget for more pressing needs arising from the pandemic. Hospitals in other countries that rely on procedure and volume-based funding are in a heap of trouble now because high-volume elective procedures were halted. In the U.S., for example, where hospitals rely heavily on diagnosis-based fees to generate revenue rather than stable annual operating budgets, the cancellation of elective procedures has resulted in steep reductions in revenue for all hospitals and health systems across the country. The American Hospital Association estimates that, as a result of canceled hospital services due to the COVID-19 pandemic, U.S. non-federal hospitals lost approximately $161.4 billion in revenue over a period of four months from March to June 2020. There is no perfect way to fund hospitals. Over the past few decades, changes to the way we fund hospitals around the world have been associated with varying degrees of success in decreasing wait times, improving access to care, reducing unit costs per admission, reducing variation in both costs and clinical practice, and improving quality. But funding reform hasn't reliably achieved or sustained the hoped-for outcomes across hospitals or systems, and some approaches to funding are not harmless. Attempts to limit annual volumes of certain procedures can frustrate patients and doctors, especially when limits on care are applied indiscriminately. Unmet needs can lead to demands by some for the right to pay privately or those who can afford it, as happened in the recent legal challenge to B.C.'s Medicare Protection Act in the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Canada has been criticized for being late to join the party on hospital funding reform. But our new research shows that before the pandemic began, this policy initiative to change the way we fund hospitals was not associated with a substantial system-level changes in access to care or quality of care, at least not for the QBPs and outcomes we rigorously evaluated. In summary, QBPs didn't shorten length of stay in hospital or increase volume of care to re- help reduce wait times before the pandemic began and they weren't flexible enough to allow hospitals to meet communities' needs during the pandemic. What then is their value? COVID-19 forced Ontario's government to recognize that the discretion and flexibility to spend may best reside with hospital CEOs and their delegates, within guidelines provided by the Ministry of Health. Maybe the pandemic is teaching us that there are better ways than one size fits all. System-wide funding initiatives to incentivize the things that we want in our health from our healthcare system. Implementing change is nearly always expensive and fraught with complications. What if funding reform isn't the only way or the best way to improve care? Trying to motivate the behavior of health professionals and healthcare leaders with financial incentives and disincentives such as through QBPs, may not be as effective as aligning with their intrinsic motivators, innate self-oriented drivers of human behavior, to deliver care that is grounded in the best available science and the ethics of medicine. Instead of using funding as an intrinsic lever for change and tinkering with how we pay hospitals, what if we helped hospital leadership and physicians implement efficient and effective spending of global budgets to enable both individual and population health. Blank checks without guidance or constraints is not desirable, but investing time and money on funding reforms may not be a good use of resources either. How do we balance our desire for accountability and for ensuring population-wide standards of care with the desire for flexibility and community-oriented care. COVID-19 has forced us to think about ways to improve the systems we all rely on. It has also forced governments to trust the wisdom of capable local leaders to know what's best for their communities and to spend money accordingly, within appropriate constraints. Going forward, we should reflect deeply on these lessons about how best to fund our hospitals so as to balance flexibility with accountability. Karen S. Palmer is an adjunct professor at the Faculty of Health Sciences in Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, British Columbia. Noah Ivers is a family physician at Women's College Hospital and an associate professor with the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Ontario. For the full references, text, and author credentials of these insights, please visit us at longwoods.com insights. I'm Eric Hart. Thanks for listening.